In chapter 20 of Numbers, the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zen in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. So right up front, we see in these very first verse of chapter 20 of Numbers, where the nation of Israel is in their time of the wilderness. We're finding that they've come to the end of the wilderness journey. It's now been 40 years total, 38 years since they first attempted to go into Canaan, to go into the promised land, and they, out of rebellion and, and out of fear, they chose not to take the step of faith forward, even though God said to go, they refused. They had to wander for 38 years, and here we are back here in this part of the, the scripture where the children are now, the whole congregation is back here in this wilderness of Zin. And they're staying right at Kadesh, right where they left and started the 38-year journey of wandering in the wilderness. It's interesting how life can start where you find and you... you a part in your life and you can wander around in your relationship with God and wander around in this world and your life that you have and God brings you right back to where he tried to get you to change the first time and he's bringing you right back to now what are you going to do with this now right back to the situation at hand but we find here in verse 1 that Miriam died in Kadesh here and through the years of wandering in the wilderness Israel made this full circle as a nation back to Kadesh and the place where they rejected God's offer. If you want to go back and read that again, go back to Numbers chapter 13, verse 26. But Miriam's death is significant because it really starts of uh, the identification of the death of the entire generation because of their rebellion the entire generation of that time was going to die off and the new generation that was going to be born and raised up at, uh, that was younger than 20, but now in their 20s and older, now been wandering for a while, they're the ones that are going to be able to go into the promised land. But when we take a look at this and we see that she was the very first sibling of Moses to die in the wilderness... And that's important fulfillment because it didn't matter that the fact that she was the sister of Moses, the leader of the nation, it didn't matter. God said she wasn't going in. She was going to die during this time of the wilderness. So she didn't have any special exception because of who she is. She, she had to also follow the law and follow the commandment of God. And so this generation who refused to enter Canaan back in those days would die in the wilderness. And now we find that this is at the end. This new generation was raised up and who will soon be going in. Many people still deceive themselves today. Many believe that uh, they think that they have some special exception from God, believing that they're a special case than everybody else. That me and God, we, we, we understand each other. 
we're, 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 we're cool. We, we know how this is all going to work out. He knows who I am. He'll accept me however I want because he's God. He's love. He'll take me as I am, even though I am a filthy sinner who has none repentance. You know, It's those kind of conversations that people have in their heads that are deceiving themselves. That's what the scripture says. You're being deceived. You're living in darkness. You have convinced yourself that it's of something that is not true. And, and that's true. You know, some people think because my parents or grandparents are, are, are godly, and they, yeah, there's no question in my mind. They love God, and they, they, they're born again. They're definitely going into heaven. That somehow you have now an exception as an adult that you'll be accepted by God because your parents are grandparents. I hope you're not, that's not you tonight. I hope you really do understand the scripture, that it is a personal decision if you follow Jesus or not. Not based on anybody else, but your decision of who Jesus is. Now, when we take a look at these moments here, like at the end of a life of a person, end of this life, Miriam died a very complex, very roller coaster life, if you want to call it. But complex is probably the best word that's coming to my mind right now. But she was great. If you remember the scripture, she was so great. She encouraged and was, was just used by God to assist in Moses and his parents to keep Moses alive. If you remember in Exodus chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, the older sisters helping to preserve his, the life of this baby Moses at the Nile. God used her greatly for leading Israel in the praise of God. If you remember coming and starting this journey in Exodus 15, verses 20 and 21, when we studied that. But she was also disgraced because of her rebellious heart against Moses in Numbers 12, when we studied that. She rised up to rebel against the leadership of her brother. But more than that, Against the appointed leader, God's appointed leader, he, she went against that. That rebellion stained her life in many ways. Because that one incident of rebellion left a bad mark at the end of her whole life. At the end of this wilderness life that she had to live at the last 38 years of her life, it was based upon that mark, because that is during that period of time, she was, had that rebellious heart. Now in verse 2, now there was a no water for the congregation. <laughs> there's always one test, there's another test, and there's another test. And look it, here comes the congregation again, rising up as part of the test. So now there was no water for the congregation. So they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs and vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly of the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Oh my, here comes the congregation. Again, same pattern. The people are talking. 
<laughs> and once they talk, then they go to the leadership and talk to them and complain and tell them. <clears throat> and if you notice this, don't forget this. This is the new congregation. This is the new generation that's been raised up in the 38 years. The other one has been dying off. And the new generation who were young kids and now adults and have their own kids, they're the ones coming against Moses and Aaron. Are you making the connection here? Obviously, the old generation did not teach the new generation raising up the lessons of life of what mistakes they made and don't make the same mistakes we made. Because now they're doing this exact same thing. They're complaining and coming against. And they're just as dramatic as the parents were because the parents were so dramatic of, oh, we're going to die. How could you have brought us here and we didn't have this? It's the same story as we've read through this thing. Here's the new generation saying and mimicking what the parents did. The same. The younger generation mimicking exactly what they learned from the previous generation. Nothing new under the sun, is it? <laughs> it happens today. It's amazing. Why? Because godly people need to teach the younger generation the things of God and the lessons from God, the good and bad. They need to know it all so they don't make the same mistakes. And here they are coming to him as an uprising, the entire, and being dramatic. And, and it wasn't, it was like, okay, we, we don't, this is, why this is an evil place. They, they didn't even understand the reason why they're in this place again is because of their parents' rebelliousness of not going into the promised land that God told them to. And now God's brought them back to where they could start fresh again. They can literally come back to this place and say, we're not going to make the same mistakes as our parents. We're going to do it God's way. We're going to go into the promised land. We are not going down the same path as our parents. No, 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 no. We're going to be obedient, immediate obedience, and complete surrender and trust by faith in God. We're moving forward. That is what should have happened. They had 38 years to learn the lesson. <laughs> they didn't. They get there and they call the place where God's bringing them back to a fresh start, a new start, to go into the promised land. They call it an evil place. <laughs> because emotions. They're living based on emotions. They're just fear and all kinds of junk that people dwell on versus trusting. The, the words they're using is not trust and faith in God. I don't care what they would say. I trust in God, but your words don't say that. Your actions don't line up with it. So it's empty words to me when you tell me you trust God and you have faith in God, but your actions and words completely say something different. You have to make the connection, people. That's what I can see Moses and Aaron going. You got to make this. You guys have no idea. You have no clue. And they did the right thing as a leader. Him and Aaron went there and just fell at the feet of God. Again, why? Because they loved the people. They were leading the people. They knew that God Almighty was going to come down and could potentially torch the entire generation and cause them to die off just like the first generation, their parents, and wait for a whole other generation to rise up. So what did they do? They did the right thing. They went and interceded for the entire congregation, the entire nation of Israel. Say, God, please have mercy on these people. Crazy. 
All they could think of is the finer things of life. Where's the grain? Where's those figs? Where's those vines? Oh, the promegatas. Oh, we want those. Those pomegranates are the best. Yes, they're in the promised land, like God said. <laughs> You're not going to find those in the wilderness. It's the wilderness. It's not the good fertile land in the promised land. What did you expect? A good life in the wilderness? You're not even supposed to be here. <laughs> but that's what people think today. Pastor, why isn't my life better? Why isn't things at least have a peace and a joy in my life? Because you're filling your life within the wilderness of junk. You keep pumping things into your face, in your mind, in your life, and surrounding your people with just stuff that is absolutely draining you. You're in the wilderness, and it's coming to an end. The question is, how is it going to end for you? How's it going to end for you? Are you going to be in a Kadesh moment right now? And God says, you're, you're not ready. You're, you're, you have no trust and faith in me. And he makes you wander in the wilderness of life, a wasted life, for another how many years before you come back to Kadesh, back to a moment where you say, okay, I finally I'll surrender, I surrender, I surrender, I surrender all. But Mary, Moses and Aaron certainly understood they needed to fall on their face. Because those people needed it desperately. Verse 7, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock, speak to the rock, speak to the rock, before their eyes, and it will yield its water. It will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So the very first, one of the things we obviously see is that Moses and Aaron said, God, we don't have any water. We're back here again. This is like, ooh, this was a full circle. This has happened to us early on in our journey, and we're right back to that same situation. You brought us back to the same lesson to learn, and we're coming immediately to you. And God spoke to Moses clearly and says, Take your rod of authority so people know you're doing this based on what I'm telling you to do. You have all the authority I'm giving you. I'm going to give you the authority and power to do this. Listen to me clearly when I'm speaking to you. Don't add or delete what I'm telling you. And what happens? God told him, Aaron, or Moses, you're going to speak to the rock. And when you speak to the rock, it's going to give you water. And when you get the water, give it to the people. They need water. If you remember back in Exodus chapter 17, verse 6, on the first occasion, when the same thing happened, it was different. Because the Lord told Moses to take that rod, go to the rock and strike the rock. And when he striked the rock, water came out. And the people were satisfied with the water. But this time God says, no, you don't strike the rock. You only speak to the rock. That is what God said. So what happened? So Moses took the rod from before the Lord. Oh, he's doing well so far. 
that he commanded him. Verse 10, And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Oh. <laughs> well, that's, that, that, that does not sound good. <laughs> that's, not, that's not loving. So here we go. Keep on going. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation and the animals were drank. And the animals drank, yeah. So, <laughs> there's so much in this one, these few verses right here. But Moses immediately got that rod, all right? He trusted rod, that authority. But the difference is, compared to the first time and the second time, as you go back and do your additional studies and meditate on this, I'll give you some of the highlights that the Lord is showing me here. Is that the difference is, bottom line is, the heart of Moses. The first time was a very humbled man who desperately needed God and he knew there's nothing he could do except God intervening to save the nation of Israel with that water. And he listened carefully and followed to a T exactly what God asked him to do. Here we see an uprising of pride in Moses' life. Very sad, because in that little bit of pride, that little bit of, of we, we see and we look in the scriptures here as he's, Moses is moving forward to do what he's doing. He calls them out, and you can tell by the words of his mouth, he says, you rebels. Very strong word in the Greek here. We think, oh, they're rebels. No, no, these were absolutely, this is not a good word used for the identifying of God's people. And then he says, must we, must me and God <laughs> bring water for you out of this rock? So now he thinks he's co-equal with God. If it wasn't for me, God wouldn't do this. It's like we're 50-50, so this pride is starting to bubble up here. Like he can do something without, God can't do something without him, and he can't do something with God. Be very careful. God doesn't need to use any of us. It just shows that he uses very <laughs> imperfect instruments to do God's will. That's one thing you have to understand. You don't have to be perfect. But notice here. Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. That's, that is where the line has now drawn, as we will see. God says, oh, that, that ain't happening. Because as a leader, <clears throat> as a leader, as a teacher of the word of God and leading people, the heart of that person has to be right to lead people, God's people, because it's God's people. It's not the person, the leader's people. It's God's people. And how you intercede for them, how you um, communicate and represent or speak to them and how you speak to them, you're representing God as you're speaking to them. The character of God is being represented, like it or not. That is the position that God has put you in, is to represent him and his character when you're teaching and speaking and leading the people. But if you don't do it God's way, that leader, that teacher will be held more stringent 
consequences we see in James chapter 3, verse 1. That's why you don't want to be in one of those positions as a leader because it, you, great consequences if your heart's not right and why you're doing it. So we see here that Moses, after doing what God had told him to do, then did something God had not told him to do. First of all, it wasn't good that he was lecturing the nation. God didn't ask him to go lecture the nation. <laughs> that was not good. But they got worse. He lectured the nations with an attitude of heart that had not sh been shown before. Because we see throughout the scriptures all the way through God, Moses was always just falling on his face and just crying out for the people. I love the love of the people and have mercy, Lord. And have, I mean, all the way through the scriptures in Exodus and in Numbers, we see that he was constantly just humbling himself and just crying out for the people. And there was no pride whatsoever. But after 40 years... It gets to a point. We even see in the scriptures in Psalm 106, verses 32 and 33, the psalm talks about the fact that the people provoked him to, to the end. <laughs> the people provoked him in such a way he just lost it. <laughs> and he called it out, you rebels, <laughs> you know, and lectured and just absolutely lost it. He, he didn't keep Stay in that self-control. And that's what will happen in positions of leadership. You will be tested. You'll be provoked. You'll be poked. And sheep bite. And they bite a lot. And so you have to real recognize that you, as a leader, you continue to love. Continue to pray and continue to engage in a way that God, to, to still minister to the people because they do not know what they do. And so Moses lost it here. But then it got worse. Moses not only took the rebellion out on the people against God personally, right? The Lord personally. But he over-magnified his own position with God and his relevance with God and thinking somehow they were co-equal in doing the work that God's doing. But it's a subtle pride that can creep in when you think you're having success or you finally come to a point like you've got this figured all out. Every leader has to be very careful for that not to be set in. And then, of course, over the edge, Moses disobeyed God directly by striking the rock instead of just speaking to the rock. And we're going to make the connection here as we continue how that speaks in the New Testament of Jesus Christ. And that's why it was a very serious moment because he misrepresented God and the coming Messiah. But notice at the very end of verse 11, even with all of that junk moment, God still came out abundantly and provided for his people and provided for the animals and he provided for the water and made sure that their needs were met. That is a loving God, <laughs> a merciful God. Because here's a rebellious people. That's not like it wasn't, they weren't rebellious. I mean, he called it out as it is. They're, re they're rebels. But that, as a leader, that, uh, that, that, that should not have done it. That, that, that caused, when I pondered on it this week, it, that, that's really what it was. He saw what it was. 
He reminded of all the past times that took place. And he finally said, I'm out of enough is enough. I've been falling on my face for these people for years. And they're still rebelling. And he just called it out. What was true? They're rebels. I think if he would have just, that just started the spiral down. Once he got taught into that emotional moment with them, when he got, got onto that, that crazy moment cycle, he started spiraling down and went from rebels to lecturing and with a wrong heart and pride. I'm better than you. Look at what God's doing with me. And I, you know, it just spiraled down to not even, not even completely remembering what God said. And he just did it out of his own emotion of power. And he just <laughs> hit the rock and aggression. That is what happens to people. If you're not allowing the spirit of God of self-control to dominate you. And you start getting provoked. You get on the crazy emotional moment with them. And if you do, even with your attitude, it will start getting a hold of you. You could spiral downward quickly. So be very, very careful. Verse 12, then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me. Ah, here it is. Because you did not believe me. You did not trust me. You didn't have faith in me. That is what God is making very clear to them. Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me, to hollow me in the eyes of the children of God, to lift me up, to, to represent me well in the eyes of the people you're leading. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. This was the water of Meribah, because of the children of Israel contended with the Lord, and he was hallowed among them. Here it is. Moses' sinful attitude and action was the root of unbelief. That's it. And because of that unbelief, because they did not truly trust God, their actions misrepresented God. He didn't really believe God when the Lord told him just to speak to the rock and water would come. He didn't believe him. And because of that, God says, you didn't hollow me. Moses did was an unholy thing. That's what it was, an unholy thing. He made God look no different than an angry man or like the pagan gods that were all around there. That's how he represented God in his actions and his words. Like they're just pagan gods that they worship, they are following, or a very angry man. Or many times speaking with people who have been, oh, traumatized by a father, they'll say, how can I go to a loving father when my earthly father was so, so angry and mean? How many times I've heard that? I, I, I couldn't begin to begin, begin to tell you. It was just so many. <clears throat> That's why as parents, we have to be very careful how we c- 
communicate with our children. But more importantly, as we see here in context, the leaders of a leading of God's people must stay right with God, but also to have and reflect the heart and character of God before the people. If you're not, you're not lifting God on high. You're not praising God on high. You're not hallowing God. And there will be consequences. God's correction of Moses was very hard. And some would look at that and say, don't, don't you think that was a little harsh? After all these years and all the things he's done and look at all his accomplishments and all of his love me walls of accomplishments. Are you kidding me? And at the last moment before they're going to have another opportunity to go in with the new generation, God's going to say, now you can't go into the, into the, the promised land? Well, you have to forget. God's a just God. <laughs> and God already said that generation wasn't going into the promised land. Just because you're a leader, just because you're Moses, just because you're Aaron, the first high priest, doesn't exclude you from God's ways and God's law and God's direction. I mean, so you have to always remember that. You, anytime you start thinking, because I'm who I am, I, God's going to give me a, give me a let, me, let me slide kind of moment. That's not how it works. That's not right thinking. That's not godly thinking. And so... God is going to, if you're not going to hallow my name as a leader that I've lifted you up to do, then I will hallow my name to make sure people understand that you need to hallow my name. So what does he do? You're not going into the promised land. So that sent a message across the nation of Israel. Whoa. Not even Moses and Aaron are going into the promised land because of what they did and went against God's word. They don't do it. That lifted God's, hollowed his name up and said, oh no, you're not going to go against my word. Did you, did you hear what I just said? He went against God's word because of unbelief. And he paid a consequence. We'll let that sit for a minute. And worst of all, if you understand the full picture of the entire scripture and God's full story, you understand that Moses, by doing what he did, defaced a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the redemptive work through the rock which water was provided for in the wilderness. Let me give you a few things. The New Testament makes it clear that water-providing, life-giving rock was a picture of Jesus Christ. How do you know that? It says it clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. Jesus being struck once provided life for all who would drink of him. How do we know that? John chapter 7, verse 37 but was unnecessary and it was unrighteous that Jesus would ever be struck again, much less struck twice, because the Son of God needed only to suffer once. Very important. And we see that when we studied Hebrews chapter 10, verses 10 through 12. 
And then the last point. Jesus can now come with words of faith. And we see that in Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 10. As Moses should have only used words of faith after being struck once, the first rock, now he had to just do the, by faith, the words of faith to bring about the living water to feed the people. That's the connection. So now, Jesus can now come with words of faith. And that is that living faith that bring life-giving water to the nation of Israel. Moses ruined this picture of the work of Jesus that God intended. But God very clearly said, okay, you're not going to hallow my name. You're not going to represent me well. You're, not, you're speaking wrongly. I'll make this clear to everybody that this is how you are to live for me. Verse 14, now Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. This says your brother Israel, you know all the hardship that has befallen us. How our fathers went down to Egypt and dwelt in Egypt for a long time, and the Egyptians afflicted us and our fathers. When we cried out to the, the Lord, he heard our voice and sent the angel and brought us up out of Egypt. Now here we are in Kadesh, a city, of the, a, a city on the edge of your border. Please let us pass through your country. We will not pass through fields or vineyards, nor will we drink water from wells. We will go along the king's highway, and we will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. So we have a new situation at hand. We just went through this situation. Water's been provided. Everything seems to be fine from that perspective. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> but now we find they're ready to move into Canaan. They're starting to move closer to the promised land. And they want to pass through this land, the king of Edom, the Edom land, and, and it's important you understand why, because Israel's as they want to leave Kadesh and go through the land of Edom in closer to the promised land, it kind of brings them what they, what you can say it, to the fifth, the fifth stage of their journey, right? You remember the first stage? The first stage takes us out of Egypt to Mount Sinai. When we study that, I'll give you the, I'll give you the scripture for that. That's Exodus 12, 31 to to Exodus 18.27. So that particular journey, that first stage, was all speaking of going from Egypt to Mount Sinai. That second stage was the staying or the camping out or the sojourning of at Mount Sinai, and that was from Exodus 19.1 to Numbers 10.10. That was a long period of many scriptures. <laughs> The third stage was the approach to the promised land. If you remember from Mount Sinai going into to stopping at Kadesh, and that's when the refusal to enter the promised land. We covered that in that thir third stage is Numbers 10, 10, 11 to Numbers 14, 45. The fourth stage was the 38 years of wandering in the wilderness until this generation of unbelief uh, had died and the new generation come in. That is what we're speaking here and ending here tonight with, and that is Numbers 15.1 to 
to Numbers uh, Numbers 20, verse 13. That's only five and a half chapters to cover the 38 years. (laughs) That's it. Whereas the... Just their camping out was, uh, you know, almost 50 chapters of, uh, of, of the time spent there at uh, uh, Mount Sinai. And fifth is that second and final approach into the promised land, which takes us to Numbers chapter 20, verse 14, to Joshua chapter 2, verse 24. So interesting is that the person they're coming to get permission to pass through the land is someone very significant. It is the actual brother of of Jacob, nations coming. It's his brother Esau is the Edomites. So here's Joshua. Here's the tribe that comes from Jacob looking to get permission to go into the promised land through his brother Esau. That didn't go well back in the day, right? And go back to Genesis 25, if you would like to see that, 19 through 34, on that reference. All my, uh, Moses asked was, just allow us to go through. We won't go and touch your vineyards, anything. We're just going to suck it in, go along the king's highway, and we promise we won't touch a thing. What was his response? A loving brother, Esau? What was his loving brother? What did he say? Verse 18, then Edom said to him, you shall not pass through my land, lest I come out against you with the sword. Oh, that was sweet. Brotherly love. So the, the, the children, or family love, so the children of Israel said to him, we will go by the highway. And if I, or, or my livestock drink any of your water, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. Then he said, you shall not pass through. So Edom came out against them with many men with a strong hand. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory. So Israel turned away from him. Now make, let me make a little note there. I almost forgot. Back there in Numbers 20, chapter 14. Do you see something that's missing right there? In my, this is what just struck me this week. Do you see what's missing right there at the beginning of that verse? The Lord spoke to Moses saying... Do you, do you see that there? No, you don't see that there. God showed me that the reason why that's not there is because I don't believe God told Moses that he needed to orchestrate and send people in to start moving forward into the land of Canaan. He did the first time. Anything significant, the Lord always spoke to Moses and Moses just was obedient and did what the Lord said. But you notice here in verse 14, the Lord didn't tell him to go into Start moving forward. Moses, after knowing what he just did in rebellious, why did Moses think now he's going to lead these people into the promised land when God just said, you're not going into the promised land? Why are you acting like you're still the leader and moving forward? Because God hadn't taken him out of leadership yet. But he knew clearly he wasn't going in there. How is that going to play out? Because sometimes, because even though Moses did everything that unbelief, him and Aaron... And did all what they did against God, God still provided the water. Many times people think, well, God gave us the water. It must have been okay. 
we got what we wanted. It must have been okay. God must have been fine with that. No, I'm telling you, that's not true. Just because God actually gave it to you doesn't mean you were, it was right. It was good in God's eyes. He's just faithful to, to still provide what he needs to provide for his people. That doesn't give you okay to continue to be a rebellious, unfaithful person to keep moving on. Just because God didn't torch me when I did that sin and oh, you know, that kind of mentality. So we see here now, they're about to go in and they automatically hit a wall called Edom. <laughs> you would think, oh, we have a shoe in. They're brothers. Jacob and and Esau, we're, we're, we're family. No, no, no. They're going to continue to hit, hit resistance because there is no record in the scriptures that show God punished Edom for refusing to let his people go through there. That's why I think God didn't ask him to go do that because he didn't say in the scripture and everything indicates he didn't even punish them, even in Deuteronomy 23, 7. There shows no signs as the Edomite, the brother, they were ever had consequences for refusing God's people to go through that land. Verse 22. Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, journeyed from Kadesh, came to the Mount Hor, and the Lord spoke to Moses. Oh, now we're, verse 23, we see some sign here that, okay, the Lord has spoken to Moses and Aaron and Mount Hor by the boundary of the land of Edom, saying, Aaron shall be gathered to his people, for he shall enter the land which I have given to the children of For he shall not enter the land which I have given to the children of Israel, because you rebelled against my word at the water of Meribah. Take Aaron and Eliezer, his son, and bring them up to Mount Or, and strip Aaron of his garments, and put them on Eliezer, his son, for Aaron shall be gathered to his people and die there. Oh, <laughs> you're not going into the promised land, because God has a plan for you to go out to a mountaintop experience, <laughs> Mount Or. And, uh, and he made it very clear what was going to take place. The first person to to receive uh, the wilderness end to their life is the high priest, Aaron himself. So verse 27, Moses did just as the Lord commanded, and they went up to Mount Or in the sight of all the congregation. So this wasn't some leadership behind the back door, okay, how are we going to get rid of Aaron, you know. No, no, everyone knows. It was very transparent because God wanted him to, to know what he was doing because God's doing it. Verse 28, Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them in, on Eliezer, his son. And Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. Whoa. When I read that, that tells me literally God shut down that heart on Aaron right then and there. Then Moses and Eliezer came down from the mountain. Now when all the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, all the house of Israel mourned for Aaron for 30 days. This is definitely a, a marker <laughs> for the people because it indicated the end of the 38 years of wandering in the wilderness. It comes to the end. And when he comes there, there's a sentenced moment here. We'll see in Numbers 33, verse 38, 
Because there it says, Aaron died there in the 40th year after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt. So we know by scripture how many years this has been. Now, this record of what happened during these years, uh, you know, it's interesting. Five and a half chapters versus 50 chapters of Mount Sinai. But here at this end of this wilderness journey, the accept the death of the generation of unbelief, I mean, they're just all, are all representing, including the leadership now. Uh, just the fact that they survived through this desert, these wasted years, these wasted life, this old man to die, waiting for the old man to die kind of moment is all played out right here because Israel rebelled back 38 years prior. And it's so true with churches. Churches can start well, but it reaches a certain point where they become rebellious against the word of God. And when a church starts rebelling against the word of God and not following the word of God, not believing the word of God, history shows it they're going to continue for a while, but it's just going to be absolute waste. They're just they're kind of existing, but hardly alive. They're dead churches because they've left the word of God. And it's true. This movement happens, and they'll go around and around, and God will bring them many times around in a circle for many years, looking to bring them back to a good a Kadesh moment to refresh and start new and come back to the word of God and following the word of God. And, and, it's, and they refuse. Because after all the years of just wandering as a church and nothing is alive, it's dead, they realize they never made all these years not one step closer, not one step more fruitfulness at all in the church. Because... They've, they've rebelled against the word of God, the voice of God. And it's so true with individuals who will, might start well, but after a while they, just, they get tangled up and, and kind of cloudy with the things of this world, the temptations we've talked about. And those individuals can wander and waste life for years and say they're Christian, but just wasted years and going from Kadesh back to Kadesh and Kadesh back to Kadesh because God keeps bringing them full circle, trying to get them to finally surrender all and trust and believe God, believe his word to move forward in their life. And they find after all these years, they're still not, they don't just, there's no growth, there's no fruitfulness because of the fact that they walked away from the word of God. And so Aaron really sets here at the end of this wilderness moment, the passing of Aaron, that first high priest of the nation. Again, Miriam didn't get any special treatment. Aaron certainly didn't get any special treatment. Miriam didn't, and certainly Aaron. At least Miriam didn't get stripped on the top of the mountain for everyone to see. And then watch the clothes you put on your son. I mean, you know, it's humbling. <laughs> that would be a humbling moment. Remember, Moses, who represented the law, will not enter into the promised land. Miriam, who represented the uh, prophets, remember she was a prophetess, didn't enter the promised land. 
Aaron represented the high priest, the first high priest. He didn't enter the promised land. Only who enters the promised land? We will see Joshua. And Joshua, as you know, in the original language, means Jesus. He will be the new leader taking his people into the promised land. But again, Aaron ends his life, the wilderness end here of his life. And again, he was very complex. His life was two extremes. If you remember, he was used by God mightily for Moses' partner. He was helped him in bringing him out of the exodus. We see that he was the starting of the priesthood. A tremendous position that God put him in to serve his people, to lead spiritually his people. He pleaded, he was right there next to Moses interceding for the people all these years and crying out and and going to battle for the people. But he also was an instrument that (laughs) the enemy used, and if you remember that outrageous debacle of the golden calf in Exodus 32. That didn't go well for his resume, as they say. And then finally, if you remember, him and his sister Miriam raised up and rose up and uh, tried to take over the authority of Moses' position in Numbers 12. So again, Aaron did well for a while, and then he didn't do well at other times. And that's why Aaron's life shows us, among other things, that the office is more important than the man himself in that position. It's the position that God is filling, and he can fill that position with any man he wants to use. And he's looking for a faithful man to fill those positions to lead. Faithful men who will believe God's word. Now, regarding this last thought, and that's when Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put him on Eleazar, his son, God gave special warning about Aaron's death as a smooth and graceful transition could be made in passing down the position of the high priest to Aaron's oldest living son, Eliezer, that God had appointed. And these things you have to learn because in any time there's a transition. People do die and positions are open and Again, God appoints the person for that position, not the congregation. And and it's a smooth transition. It's never confusing. It's never um, in a way that that would somehow dishonor or not hollow God's name and character in that transition of leadership. And the man dies, but the priesthood did not. And God's, that position is very important to God because that priesthood represented him in front of the people spiritually. How does that apply to us today? God took care of that by bringing his only begotten son to be the great high priest who will never leave or forsake you. It was one and only And I say that importantly because many times people will look at someone in a position of teaching, a pastor or an elder or someone, and see and look to that person as the person they need to follow. And that's the person who's going to help me get... 
No, God can use that person as an instrument. But you always must, that person must always be pointing to you to the great high priest. Because that is who is representing you of you to the Heavenly Father. You must keep your eyes on Jesus, the great high priest. Not the pastor, not a leader, not someone who just led you to someone to Christ, introduced you to Christ and gave you the gospel. Not, that's not who saved you. Jesus saved you. You have to keep that in mind. And that's why it's so important as people are growing and learning that they're new, they don't understand that, and your children don't understand that as you're raising them up. Oh, daddy and mommy, that's everything, you know. But that's, that's good because they're gonna use, God's going to use you to just raise them up and pro protect them and provide for them until they get old enough to understand that you follow the great high priest, Jesus Christ, and that they too need to make that decision for themselves. Don't, don't get confused. Because there's many religions out there that says, I'm the priest or I am the person you must come to and I intercede for you. That is unbiblical. Unbiblical. Do not follow that. The gospel. Our life needs to be founded on the rock. The great high priest. Our life needs to be all about Jesus. Amen? Let me ask you a question. How will you finish? How will you finish your race? I, if you're at a Kadesh moment and you're like, do I just now start pressing forward into the all the promises that God has for me and I let the world, the wilderness go? Or do I still going to go play a few more rounds in the wilderness before I think you have the opportunity to choose to go into the promised land? I'll let that settle with you tonight.